You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where, of course, we talk about the Indiana Pacers. And as always, my name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Indianapolis Community News. And today is going to be a final breakdown of the Pacers Heat series. I know you guys don't want to reminisce on a terrible Pacers sweep and now an outdated era with McMillan at the helm, but I think one more little hard look at it can both identify what the Pacers did poorly that they can fix in the future and see where some of McMillan's shortcomings were, which is important for the future. Uh, This episode was recorded on Wednesday, so you'll hear me say happy Thursday at the beginning, uh, but that's because of the timing was recorded. It was recorded prior to games on Wednesday, uh, which were, excuse me, the games when, when they were supposed to be on Wednesday with the intent that it would come out the next day, but uh, I held off on posting it, and I'm saying this monologue right now on Friday because I think it was important for the basketball media discussion to not focus on basketball yesterday and even today, really. But, um, you know, go look at what George Hill said in the Bucks and why all these teams are striking their games. I think it's really important. You know, they already put pressure on the owners to make every single uh, stadium in America a voting center this November. Uh, just go look up the reasons these teams are striking. George Hill had some great comments for the Bucks indie legend, so go listen to what he had to say. But today's podcast is with Nikias Duncan, who I have to congratulate. He got a full-time writing job between the time of recording uh, and today for basketballnews.com. It's a new website. I would highly encourage you all to check it out. They have four former NBA players as writers and podcasters. It's really cool. So go check that out. But yeah, we're going to talk Heat Pacers, so uh, stick around and, and let's get into it. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where, of course, we talk about the Indiana Pacers. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes, the Fieldhouse, and the West Indianapolis Community News. And today, we're going to talk about actual basketball for possibly the last time of the 2019-20 season. Do a little X's and O's level recap of the Pacers Heat series that just concluded, and maybe talk about what the Pacers can do to get better. Uh, of course, we uh, talked about the Nate McMillan firing yesterday, so if you want to listen to that, go back to the previous show, and we'll continue to talk about that tomorrow, but I think it's important to talk about what went wrong in that series and possibly led to that firing, and to talk about the uh, what was supposed to be a fun battle that did not turn out to be a fun battle. Nikias Duncan from Miami Heat Beat Bleacher Report, Five Reasons Sports, SB Nation, Dime, the, the game, you name it, Nikias has written for them before. Nikias, how you doing, man? I am doing fantastic, man. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I'm really enjoying the Western Conference first round because there's actually some competitive series going on over there, including soon after we're done recording, there will be more. So I am looking forward to those, and I'm enjoying the playoffs. But you know what else I enjoyed, Nikias? Was Bam Adebayo kicking some ass. (laughs) Great games. And... So I have to tell you, before we really get nitty and gritty on this series, is that I actually thought the Heat were the best matchup in the first round for the Pacers for most of the season. Two of the reasons withstanding why. One is Sabonis is a matchup nightmare for the way the Heat played them the first two times, right? Myers Leonard started. That was just different. And two is I liked the Brogdon versus Kendrick Nunn matchup. Now, as we just saw in the series, neither of those things happened. But the other thing that I didn't expect was Bam to just totally 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 destroy miles turner and i know bam was better but that was just one of the biggest ass kickings of a one-on-one i've ever seen and i want to know what you thought of 
how Bam played and how versatile he looked in this series? Um, Bam did a good job of kind of backing me in my semi-hot take that he was the Heat's best player this year. Uh, did a little bit of everything on defense because Indiana seemed pretty bent on isolating him, which was an interesting choice when you would have Goran Dragic on the court or Duncan Robinson on the court or Tyler Hero on the court, or as we saw in game four, Kendrick Nunn got some playing time. And it always seemed like Bam was in the action somehow. You would see Malcolm Brogdon get the mismatch that he wanted, and then he'd call up Miles Turner for a pick and pop, and Miami would obviously switch it, and then you have Bam on Malcolm Brogdon, and the other guards kind of followed suit. So it's kind of odd to see them attack him as much, or at least attempt to, because it didn't go well. Um, and then on the offensive end, this was probably the most aggressive four-game stretch I've seen from Bam this year. Um, didn't always show reflect in the box score. It did have some inefficient moments, but he took the Miles Turner matchup personally from the opening tip. Um, I feel like the the thing with Team USA over the summer still kind of sticks in his mind. But I, I have not seen so many face ups and jab and goes and post hooks and just elbows into the sternum that I that I've seen from Bam in that series. He he really just took it to Miles and Miles spread him out on the other end, not. Shot pretty well from three, but just the physicality, the oomph that Bam played with was it was fun to watch. I always knew Bam was good and like deserving All Star, great player, but I did not know David Ramil of Locked On Heat was the one who told me about the U- Team USA stuff. I had no idea about that. I had no idea that this was such a a personal like I want to go destroy this guy matchup for him. And you know the defensive stuff's been pretty well documented all year that the heat switch a lot and he's pretty capable at switching out there, which is why it was surprising. The Pacers went at that so much, especially in game one, it was like every other possession, but the way, yeah, I think you, you tweeted about it being a, like a happy adjustment for a lot of heat fans. It's like, I think in game three for the first time, it really happened where he had Brogdon in the post and they just dumped the ball into him and he got an easy post. Mm-hmm. And all these heat fans were like, finally, you know, it's like, I did not know, like, I knew Van was versatile, but to see him take the ball up as a point guard, just punk guys in the post, really take it to Turner in ways I didn't expect him to. I mean, I think I said to David uh, when we did a crossover lockdown heat, lockdown Pacers pod, that I thought Van was the best player in the series as well. He said Jimmy Butler, which, of course, that's a fine pick too. But, you know, I, I just, he impressed me so much, and I was shocked how hard he made it for the Pacers to have answers for his play. Yeah, I mean, he just did a little bit of everything when – Whenever Indiana did switch, it was nice to see him finally abuse smaller players in the post. Um, I had tweeted about it earlier in the series that uh, during the regular season, if you include the season get the seeding games, Bam was only generating like 0.9 points per possession on post-ups against guards, which was one of the worst figures in the league. And so to see him kind of get Brockton, uh, had Aaron Holiday a couple times, um, had T.J. Warren a couple of times. Just to see him look for his shot was a welcome improvement. And the fact that he was able to draw some fouls and get some easy ones to go, just a welcome sign because I think that's the final frontier for him. Um, one of the big games that stood out to me during the seeding process was when Miami went up against Toronto. And one thing Nick Nurse did from the jump was put OG Ananobi on, OG Ananobi on Bam so he could switch that uh, dribble handoff between him and Duncan Robinson. And Bam basically had a smaller player on him all game long, and he was taken out of the game offensively because he just couldn't punish those size mismatches. So if he's able to do that, that takes away a counter that I'm sure Milwaukee, if they win, will throw at them. And it just makes Miami harder to guard. And they, they were a top 10 offense all year long anyway. 
Yeah, they were. There was nothing they could really do. I and mean, if if you put a small on Bam, that was like kind of the counterpunch to me to them just chucking a thousand three and making every three they took all game. But they took it away. Credit to Spo and Bam for being ready for that counter and doing so well with it. <laughs> they just couldn't stop Bam at all. It was crazy how how few answers they were able to generate for him. Uh, but another guy I want to talk about, Heat centric, that was way better than I expected in the series and was a reason again that my the Pacers should want to play the Heat. Projection was was stupid. I mean, they got swept. Clearly, I was wrong. Goran Dragic. Uh, you know, I, I talked about. <laughs> yeah, you have to just laugh, right? I talked about thinking the Brogdon Nun matchup would be a good one for the Pacers a lot before the series. Nun barely played, which when he did play, how ridiculous for the Heat. And again, you tweeted this too. Is like Jimmy Butler gets hurt. Let's just throw in this fifteen point per game score that is trying on defense tonight. And wants his rotation spot back. Like what the hell? What do you? That's ridiculous. But. Yeah, Dragic moving into the starting lineup, good choice, obviously, from Spo, but to be both that ridiculous from three and able to just carve into the paint whenever he wanted, it felt like two. You know, he, he always had, like, just above 20 points every game, but it always felt like more because he was hitting the shots that kill the pacer run or started mm-hmm. a heat run or something like that. It always felt like, oh, Dragic again, even though Orler wasn't, like, that great. And he was just tremendous. And I wanted to know if you thought that he could even be that good in this series or keeping going for the heat in the playoffs. Um, the offensive contributions did, uh, didn't really surprise me. He's been good offensively all year. The thing that worried me coming into the series, especially with him going into the start lineup with Kendrick Nunn's struggles, was how Dragon was going to look defensively. Because even though the Heat moved him to the second unit, played more minutes against second units this year, um, he still continued to decline on that end. And he was already a pretty strong minus last year. And that trend continued this year. So I was kind of worried about him getting hunted out. And the Pacers did hunt him out. Um, he fought, obviously, yep. but that was that was one of the matchups that Indiana consistently went Late to. in game three, when they had that sideline out of bounds, they intentionally drew up a play to go at Dragic, but the heat, mm-hmm. you know, the, the heat blew it up. Yeah, like that that was the that was the weak point. But to Dragic's credit, he continued to fight on defense like he always does. It's never an it's never a, an effort thing, it's not an IQ thing. He just doesn't have, you know, just doesn't have the lateral quickness, doesn't have the length to kind of switch across positions. So he's just going to be a mismatch, and we're going to see how big of a deal that's going to be in the next round. But offensively, as you mentioned, like he just hit so many kill shots. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would guess that he was Miami's fourth, leading fourth-quarter scorer in that series. Just so many back-breaking yeah. threes, drives and driving kicks to kind of keep the chain moving against Indiana when they started scrambling, um, hit crucial free throws. Just, just heady play all over the place for him. Um, and Eric's supposed to trust Goran Dragic. I mean, he's been there a few years now. Um, it's not a surprise that he got more of a more of a role in the postseason. Um, it just kind of exacerbated with Kendrick Nunn struggling the way that he has. But uh, just just a fantastic showing for Dragic. If he still has the three ball going, um, I would expect that he's still going to be in the closing lineup, um, especially if Miami continues to go small. He just gives them the extra element of ball handling and shooting that they need. Yeah, that made it that made it unfair, man. Like, <laughs> the, they already have to chase and you know do like I wrote a whole article about this. It was a, it was a very hot question for McMillan. Is like, how do you defend these shooters? And before mm-hmm. the series, if you said, why are we asking McMillan this? I would have said it's because Duncan Robinson, who did, and Hero, who kind of did, just destroyed them from three. Those guys are killer shooters. But he'd have some other guys who are capable shooters as well. I never thought it would be Dragic. Not that he isn't a good shooter. It's just like. It wasn't. It was like some off the dribble and still spotting up. It's. I. I just when I watched the Heat this season, I never saw him used in that way, especially with the closing group that 
Well, that closing group that he played had never played, I believe, right, in the regular season. The playoffs mm-hmm. was – yeah. So, you know, I just never expected that from him. And I don't, the Pacers clearly didn't either. But they had – even when they made adjustments later in the series, they had just had not an answer for him, which was amazing that he went from a guy that I didn't even consider when thinking about how these teams matched up head-to-head became the probably the third best player in the whole series. Mm-hmm. It was he, he just completely took over. Yeah, I, I couldn't completely. believe it. Him and Vic were an all-star the same year, two years ago, and that feels like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, but it feels like 20 <laughs> years from now. <laughs> so another thing, I'm just going to keep bouncing stuff that happened in this series back and forth. This is like the least flow I've ever had, but I'm having a lot of fun talking about players. That oh, no, go ahead, man. You're good. But this is less a player that killed the Pacers and more a heat tactic. So bubble man, MVP man, first team all bubble, whatever the hell you want to call that team. TJ Warren. Did not do well against the Heat in the seeding game that he played against them. That was one of two games he didn't play well that he actually played in during the seeding games. But, you know, a big storyline for the Pacers, the whole bubble was, wow, T.J. Warren, obviously, right? 53 points against the Sixers, huge game against the Lakers, really carried them to the 6-2 and two record they had in the seeding games. It was a big reason they actually finished ahead of the Heat in the regular season, which now looks foolish because it's, you know, they obviously <laughs> aren't the better team, but... You know, the Heat have Jimmy Butler, and I don't want to talk about their tiff or whatever that happened in the regular season. Both of them have clearly moved on, and people wanted to press, but that's clearly over. But, you know, Jimmy's going to shut him down. Like, that's a thing that I knew would happen in the series, and I know Warren can't pass, so it's going to be hard to use that as an advantage. But the Heat trapping him was something that surprised me. What did you see from the the Heat defense on Warren to not let him get going that made it so effective? Because he was really, it felt like, out of sorts all series long. Um, I think you touched on it. I mean, first he got uh, heavy doses of Jimmy Butler, who was one of the best wing defenders in the NBA. Um, he's one of the guys, I mean, he's quick enough to move on the perimeter. He's strong enough to kind of thwart post-ups. Um, TJ Warren likes to overpower folks. Um, if you get some pump-and-go situations, he likes to go to that floater, kind of use your body against you, create extra space. You can't really do that against Jimmy Butler. In addition to that, whenever the Pacers were playing some lead, some less threatening offensive threats, um, especially if Indiana tried to pick out some so um, every bench player. Switching. <laughs> See, I'm going to be nice, man. I'm on your part. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Indy would do a decent job of creating mismatches for Warren. But even if they did post them, Miami was kind of able to double rotate back. It just kind of took advantage of the fact that TJ Warren isn't a quick processor. Um, can't even say he's right. a bad passer. If he, if he sees it, he can hit it. But it's just how quickly he's seeing it. So Miami's just swarming bodies at him. And, by, and he's just making the easy kick out to where it isn't a turnover, but he's not making the pass to create an assist opportunity. So he kind of hits the relief man and Miami rotates back. And now you're even later in the clock since Indiana's spending so much time trying to force switches anyway. So it just led to a lot of late shots, a lot of bad shots. And Miami was able to run. They absolutely blitzed Indiana in transition all series long. Yeah. So it, it was just TJ Warren could never really get comfortable. Once he got catch and shoot opportunities, he was fine. If he if he caught the ball after the rotation had already been forced on offense, then he was able to pump and go, flow into some pull-up jumpers, flow into that floater they love so much. But once he kind of had to isolate on his own, Miami was just able to send help wherever and just kind of swarm him, and he really had no answer for it. Yeah, I was surprised they didn't send more, you know, pre-pass screens or off-ball screens for him because of what you said, like that if he got it in the rotation or before the heat were really set, he could attack a little better or hit a set shot. But I like what you said about his decision-making not being the fastest. He really does like to step, take two dribbles, 
make the read. I think that does put his passing into a little better context because, yeah, if he sees it, he'll do it. But I don't know if I've seen him throw a skip pass like in his entire season with the Pacers. You know, he'll, he'll right. make the, the read, but not like the creating read, I guess is a good way to put it. So it's easier to send the double when you know, okay, we only have to help to the corner right there if he actually does make the pass. Yeah, and I think even with the seeding game where he just kind of shot 100% from the field, like a lot of the scoring opportunities were quick hitters. Yep. Um, he was taking more pull-up threes, but that's an easy read. Guard right. fights over the screen, big drops, he shoots. Like it's nothing super complex. If he gets the ball with defense rotating, he can go, use his body, hit the floater. Didn't really get to the line much, but I mean, like the word the in-between game that he has had since he's been in college. So once you kind of gave him the ball and said, hey, this is yours now, especially – uh, what game one when Victor Oladipo went out early, when it was just kind of on him, you kind of saw the limitations that he had and why he isn't a true number one scorer. He's more play finisher than play creator, I feel. Yep, agreed. So once you kind of bump him up the food chain in the offense, um, it's still, I mean, Broughton still had a lot of ball handling opportunities there, but still, once you bump that up for Warren <laughs> and you force him into more situations where he has to create for himself and for others, it, it was just a little bit out of his depth. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the seeding games, him playing so well, kind of was put him in a tough spot too, where it's like, oh, we, you know, can we, re- we kind of feel like we have to rely on this guy. We've just seen him carry us, but you know, the Heat are prepared for it in a, in a playoff setting where rotations are tighter and better and they can really game plan for specific player strength to weaknesses. It's a lot harder to get him those advantageous positions. Then you add on top of that, that Jimmy Butler is the guy defending him. They just, there was no way for TJ Warren to get going. And that was killer because Outside of a huge Brogdon half, I mean, the Pacers had no consistent big score that he'd had no answer for. So they they just didn't have enough offense without him. Hey guys, let's take a small break from this playoff series that plagued the Pacers so much to talk about Rock Auto because chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, which is not cool. RockAuto.com, on the other hand, they have the prices the same for everybody and those prices are reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. They have everything you'll need for your car, even new carpeting, engine control modules, you name it, whether it's for your classic daily driver or not, get everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered straight to your door. It's a family-owned business. Their catalog is unique and super easy to navigate. Best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for everybody. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Just go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Next guy. We're just, I'm just running through guys. So I also thought the Pacers bench would do better. Sabonis so not playing withstanding. That is a, a big issue that would obviously plague their bench. I knew their bench would be worse without him. I didn't think their bench would be literally the worst bench in the NBA without him. But uh, something Adam, my co-host, talked about a lot when we were covering the series is oh my gosh, the, the Tyler Hero is just changing the series because when the Heat can go to their second unit, they have a guy they can just chuck the ball to and he'll go get a bucket. And I, and I knew Tyler Hero <laughs> was really good, but I was surprised how easy he was to score. The Pacers had nothing in their second unit. Aaron Holiday had a terrible series, got in foul trouble way too often, couldn't hit anything. McDermott hit one three. Jimmy Butler hit four times the number of threes as Doug McDermott in the series. I mean, that is just 
the craziest thing I've ever heard. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. TJ McConnell got benched. Uh, so they were playing Edmund Sumner all for defense, but they just had nothing off the bench. Mm-hmm. And Hero being such a consistent contributor. First of all, I think he was doing it to make you eat your words about the draft. Uh, <laughs> but second of all, I think that just swung the series a lot too because the Pacers, a lot of times this season, their starters would fight to an even battle or just slightly lose. And then their bench would just kick mm-hmm. ass and they're in the lead. They had nothing to A, answer Hero, or B, you know, have that scoring punch to do the same thing. And I, I was really impressed with Hero this series, especially for a rookie. Oh, for the heroes, fantastic. Oh, just on that front, uh, I already wrote my apology article in like, Jan- <laughs> like, <laughs> in like December it's or something. I had tweet. a pen you for have to, You have to keep it pinned. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, so I, I've already kind of ate my words there. But uh, Hero has just looked like an entirely different person in the bubble in general. The big thing that stood out is that he is attacking the basket a lot more than he has. Um, I ended up tweeting that out um, early in the season games, too, that he had nearly doubled the amount of drives per game that he had before entering the bubble which was huge for him. Um, still not a great finisher, though he's been fantastic by percentages um, since we've kind of moved down to Orlando. But uh, he, he's just made more of an effort to get downhill. And that's opened up so many things because now when you have the guards fighting over screens, kind of get on the three-point line, he can go to those pull-up jumpers. He can go to those floaters. He has great feel. One of the things that surprised me um, once I really started doing film work on him when the heat drafted him, has great feel, can make skill passes, can make lobs, can make pocket passes. So if he does create some of those advantages in the half court, he has all the weapons necessary to beat that. So he, he was just put in more situations like that. Um, and then just on top of that, he just made a lot of money plays. We talked about driving earlier, just making back breaking shots. Going to that game four where Tyler Hero has two offensive rebounds in like 12 seconds. Yeah, and then gets on. a layup out of it. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, he, he just has something. He has that it. Where the big yeah. moments just don't phase him at all. He may miss shots, he may turn the ball over, but it isn't out of fear. It's out of him just making a wrong decision or just being off on the jumper. He's not scared of the moment at all. He's not scared to take big shots. He's not scared to mix it up in the paint. And that that that's really the biggest thing that stood out to me. He just continued his progression on offense, kind of getting downhill and letting that set up everything else. Because once you're worried about him driving, then he can get into that step back that he likes. Then he can, you know, he can kind of Right. Pump fake, pass it off, relocate and shoot, kind of like we see with Duncan Robinson and those dribble handoffs. So now that he's getting downhill, now he's becoming more of a three-level score instead of a two-level score. And once you add that with the passing ability, the Heat have reason to be excited about what he's going to look like moving forward. Yeah, he was so good in the series. Game four, I think, for Hero was one that kind of not stood out is the wrong word, but like really to to emphasize how good he was, it's like the Pacers – played their starters all 39 or more minutes and barely played their bench because their bench, again, was atrocious this series. They kept the heat off the three-point line. They hardly fouled. Like, all the game plan stuff that they need to win a damn game. And then Hero's a plus eight off the bench, and their entire bench is just a disaster. Aaron Holiday plays 13 minutes. They lose those by 11. It's like, there's your game. You just... You just got smoked on the second unit in 10 minutes because you have absolutely no bench contributions, and the Heat are just having... This rookie just kick you at kick your ass every time down the floor. They had I was shocked they had no answers for him this series. Like I can see it with Dragic, former All Star, good player. He's played in the playoffs for the Heat before. Like awesome, but Hero, like wow, that that was a big tide turner. Yeah, Hero averaged what sixteen points per game in the series. Like it, it was just an absurd opening run for him. He just doesn't he doesn't seem out of place at all. I think that's the biggest thing. Like he. 
He competes defensively, pretty solid team defender already. I mean, he'll always have those limitations in terms of like his wingspan, vertical exposure, things like that. But he knows where to be. He mixes it in as a defensive rebounder, probably his biggest asset on the defensive end. And on offense, he just kind of has everything you need from him. Yep. So, I mean, it's it's just going to be getting gaining more experience at this point. But he he's not scared. He has the skills necessary, has the mindset mindset necessary. Just, I mean, just a fantastic performance early on. And now we head into the second round. And at least schematically, it's going to be a couple series. It's going to be a series against Milwaukee or Orlando to where he can kind of get similar shots. Sorry, you said Orlando. <laughs> if Orlando beats <laughs> – Orlando's not winning this series. Come on. Hey, man. I, I, you know, you gotta, gotta I will give them there. credit for <laughs> winning more games than any other – team in the east that is not going to advance they deserve credit for winning that game one <laughs> i, I want to talk about hey, man, uh, bucks maybe magic uh, in a second but i actually want to flip the script here <laughs> i didn't tell you i was going to do this did you have did anything that we haven't talked about yet stand out to you in this series from either a pacers or heat perspective uh was a big fan of jakar samson in the series yes uh, the big overall man. has been Ed. <laughs> the bench overall kind of underwhelmed, but Jakar Sampson was one of the guys that gave y'all a punch. Um, yeah. As you mentioned, there were some shot creation issues, but Jakar Sampson just kind of manufactured his own points. Um, Indiana will force a miss on the defensive end. Jakar Sampson's beating everyone down the floor and getting transition buckets. He's fighting on the offensive glass, creating extra opportunities. Has this super weird kind of herky-jerky mid-range jumper that he would go to late in the clock that went in at a surprising clip. It was like, okay, I mean, if he's going to knock those down, then fine. But, I mean, he, one of those um, process rejects that has carved out a nice role on a good team. Good for him. Who knew this G League wing would be a fantastic playoff backup center one day? (laughs) I mean, it's just (laughs) wild story. He was the last guy they signed last summer. And I thought his contract would be non-guaranteed. They would just, like, cut him at some point in the season. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, damn, you're the best bench player on the team in the playoffs. What a what, <laughs> what an indictment of your bench that Jakar Simpson is your best bench player. I, like, I have never been more confident of a guy who played under 40 games in a season being a legit NBA player than Simpson this year. I did a feature on him. I was so impressed with, <laughs> with him. So, yeah, I, I like that. That's a good one. Uh, the fact that they were able to get some productivity. You know, Miles was good in games two, three, and four, but he was really bad in game one. And there were people who were like, should they just start Samson instead of Miles? I was like, wow, are we really there already? It's been <laughs> Yeah, you, you can't do that. No. I feel like Miles Turner actually had a good series. Like, he was yeah. fantastic defensively. He did. Just show, showcased every – like, just I, – I don't think you can name three better rim protectors than Miles Turner in the league right now. And he, as much as Bam got the better of him in some of those um, some of those faceoffs that he did and things of that nature, like he met Bam at the rim a lot, especially in the back end of that series. But just tremendous defensive effort from Miles Turner. It's still just trying to figure out where he fits offensively because it didn't it didn't seem like at least in this series that Indiana was comfortable posting him up. Nope. And a lot of the pick and pop stuff that makes Miles Turner so valuable on offense, it just wasn't there because the Heat just switched everything. So it's going to be interesting to see what he looks like moving forward because the, he has to have a he has to have a level of shot creation for himself. Yeah, like he he looked good like driving from the top of the key again. Once the defense already rotated, he can pump and go. He can do you know he can give you two dribbles to get to the rim. So that's maybe something to build on. Maybe give him some more face up opportunities, especially if they're just not going to get on the post stuff. But yeah, the fact that the Heat basically eliminated his pick and pop value really limited him on the offensive end. Yeah, I, I thought he had a good series, too. And I think to his defense, like you said, being one of the best through protectors, a lot of that is he's really good at defending 
pick and rolls. I think the Heat's handoffs kind of exposed that he's a step slow way out on the perimeter like that because they were just looking to chuck on mm-hmm. a lot of those. But um, yeah, in, in space on pick and rolls, he's really good at, at containing both guys, especially drop coverage. And you know, he's not great at at physically defending centers like you just talked about with Bam in the post. Sometimes gets bullied by Drummond and Bead types all the time. But yeah, great defender mm-hmm. in space, good at recoveries. Uh, yeah, quite a few blocks in every game, and he shot well this series. That was really key for him. In Pat, I mean, that's really reductive. To but for a guy like him, who they don't let him create a ton, you have to be a play finisher, and he did in this series. But right. I, I think that their unwillingness to go to him in the post was kind of to a fault at times. Brogdon dribbled the air out of the ball a lot when when Turner had a good matchup in the post. Mm-hmm. There was one possession in Game Four I brought up on our Monday show where Depot has the ball on the right wing and Duncan Robinson's is guarding Turner in the post and Turner calls for a post up and Depot calls for a screen. And then Turner kind of throws his hands up reluctantly goes up and sets a screen. But right before the screen, he jolts back to the basket and he's wide open and Depot got him the ball for a basket. It's like, why not just throw him the ball? It works. So I can't <laughs> like, just throw him the ball earlier. The same thing would happen. But yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty interesting to see that all go down and, you know, those kind of X's and O's adjustments, like they did, you know, they got into that weave action more often in game three and four, but I mean, they just ended up just getting mm-hmm. doofed by the switches so much that it just sunk their offense for literally every good player they have. And I think that is one of the indictments on McMillan that led to what happened yesterday. But yeah, the, the switching just befuddled them to the point of not even being able to make an entry pass or you know, not knowing who to attack and dribbling too much. It, it was very interesting and not a good yeah, one. That, that's, yeah, that's the big thing with switching defenses. They just kind of flatten out offenses. Like a lot of the off, off-screen off stuff that teams like to do, especially Indiana, that really stood out with Doug McDermott because they have like a couple of pet actions that they like to do to get McDermott free. Um, a lot of floppy, a lot of other stuff that Caitlin Cooper could obviously. Yeah. yeah. She has a handle on that. But uh, once you switch all those off-ball screens and there isn't an advantage created, Doug McDermott is a great shooter. He's not a guy like Duncan Robinson who doesn't mind taking contested shots. McDermott wants more daylight that Duncan Robinson is comfortable with. And once you kind of take away some of those pet actions, Indiana's late in the clock. Doug McDermott isn't creating for himself. So it it just kind of – it just made him ineffective because he's not a plus on the defensive end either. He was horrible on defense. He targeted him every possession he was in the game, it felt like. Yeah. He'd come out of the corner, and normally they have Sabonis to set at least a somewhat solid screen to get him at least a little bit of space coming off the top of the key. But without Sabonis to screen well, they, the Heat just pre-switched it, and boom, he's covered yeah. immediately. Like, you got nothing. So he was – like, I advocated for the game four adjustment for the Pacers instead of McConnell to cut out McDermott to play Sumner because mm-hmm. if he's giving you zero on offense, just play a good defensive player. Like, at least you're getting a, pl- a plus in that way. I mean – Sumner was fine in game four. He was actually the only player with a positive plus minus for the Pacers in that whole game. He's my man, and I know he's going to be good one day. But anyway, I was surprised they uh, did it over McConnell instead. But, yeah, I think the switching defense was really the killer thing. Uh, the, the fact – I mean, I get that they're really hard and, and flatten out offenses all the time, but the fact that they had, like, no answer and, no you know, no screens away from the play or – extra diversion to, to fool the defense into switching away. Like the fact that they had nothing in response other than, we're just going to attack the matchup. We like a lot. I mean, was, was very surprising to me. It just kind of showed that Indiana is lacking a level of shot creation that they need to kind of make the next step. Yep. And this is, it's also kind of an indictment of Nate McMillan with, you know, he just lost his job. 
but uh, there just weren't enough counters, not enough actions after the initial action in their sets to kind of help force some more switches. Like, I mean, if the Heat are going to switch as much as they do, why did we not see more slips? Counter right. effect building into the offense. Like, that's the ready-made counter. If you already know the team's going to switch stuff, like, slip to the rim, that's, that would have been a way to get Miles Turner more touches, get him more free throws. Like, I mean, that doesn't – got Warren ready-made. the ball in his favorite spots too. Yeah, again, get yeah. get TJ Warren with a head of steam. He's going to get points for you, and that's what you needed more than anything. So it it just kind of didn't make sense. A lot of, I mean, a lot of Indiana's best stretches came with Miami turning the ball over to where they could just kind of run. And once you got into the half court, the Heat just kind of flattened them out with those switches, and there just didn't seem to be enough counters built in. I mean, you you have to acknowledge that the personnel just wasn't where it was. Someone yeah. was kind of hurt there. Um, Victor Defoe still working himself back. So he, I mean, he obviously isn't the 2018 version of himself. But that's kind of where Nate McMillan should have helped him out a little bit more. You have to build in a little bit more action, a little more decoy action to kind of get to what you want, make it easier on your offense since you're missing so much. And he just didn't do that. So I'm going to go out on a limb and assume the Heat uh, by beating the Pacers will be playing the Milwaukee Bucks, not the Orlando Magic, uh, in the second round of the playoffs. Is that game tonight? Yeah, I believe that's today. We'll find that out. But uh, yes, I will assume they're going to be playing the Bucks. Uh, what do you think about that series for the Heat? I think that they they beat the Heat this season, or beat the Heat. They beat the Bucks this season already once. I think it was way back in October, but I remember the Heat. Um, beating them already. Do you think they have a, a good shot in the series, and how much can they maintain from this Pacer series to to bring into that Milwaukee series? Uh, to answer your question, uh, the Heat did go two and one in the oh two the regular season. Wow, wow, I missed. Yeah, won the first two games, and then they had what a twenty four point lead in the first half of the third game, which you saw in the seeding games. And then Milwaukee remembered that they were Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> they just kind of closed on a ridiculous run to win that third game. Okay. But uh, the Heat have posed problems for the Bucks all year long. Uh, and the Bucks haven't looked great, particularly Chris Middleton, my guy, has not looked great <laughs> in Orlando at all. So He's been rough in this first round, yeah. yeah it's, it's been rough. My matches have been a mess, so I can't imagine what <laughs> he's looked like. <laughs> but uh, it's, I'm trying not to be a prisoner of the moment. You always have to take regular season matchups with a grain of salt. And the Heat looked very good against Indiana, and the Bucks haven't looked good against Orlando, and they're kind of, and they're missing their two best defenders. Yeah, it's getting hard for me not to pick the Heat in an upset wow. at this point. I actually, I said so I, in our Fieldhouse chat, I said this. I th- I think it was halftime of Game Four of Bucks Magic. The Bucks were losing, right? They ended mm-hmm. up smoking them in the fourth quarter of that game. And I was watching that game and. I waited till the fourth, but in the middle of the third for a second, I was like, man, I might, I might pick the heat right now. Like, this is crazy because I hate to say this about the bucks. I hate when, when basketball gets this reductive. Cause it's not, it's such a, it's such an awesome sport with so much interesting strategy, but like with the way they use Giannis and how often he has the ball so much of their success, especially in the playoffs is like, do Middleton and Bledsoe make their shots and Bledsoe. Mm-hmm. A lot of times the answer has been no. And that's why he gets dumped on for being bad in the playoffs. And right now the answer for Chris Middleton is no. So they have to get a lot from their role players, and they have been. Mm-hmm. They're, they're up 3-1 for a reason. But, again, they lost to the Magic, like, without Aaron Gordon and Michael Carter-Williams. And Michael Carter-Williams is no longer a punchline. That's a big deal. So yeah. And Jonathan Isaac, who is and, one of well, the best yeah. defenders. <laughs> right, yeah. their best defender on the team. Right. So, yeah, they, they clearly are showing that, like, if those guys can't – if Middleton can't be the guy that you stand, you know, I think he's awesome too. Like, it, 
if, if he can't be that guy, I don't know how they can like Giannis is going to have to be the one of the best series ever if they're going to like mm-hmm. walk. It's going to be it's going to be very interesting, and I think Bam's an actually decent matchup on Giannis. Not that anyone can like actually defend him, but you know, I I actually think that'll be a pretty interesting series. I'm yeah, that's what, yeah, I'm sitting more on it because I'm I want to end up doing a preview on it. But uh, like I came into the playoffs saying, hey, the Heat beat the Pacers in round one. The Bucks are going to smoke the Magic. That hasn't happened, but they're going to they're probably going to win the series. And my initial prediction was, all right, the Bucs are going to win in six. But at this point, if Chris Middleton isn't himself, the Heat have shown they have a bunch of versatile defenders. I mean, they build a wall um, around the nail, kind of thwart those Giannis drives as well as anyone in the league. Um, with Chris Middleton struggling now, he's then going to be guarded by Jimmy Butler for 38 minutes a night. Uh, like, if Giannis doesn't go off, which he can, he's the best player in basketball to me, it, it really gets tighter because even if you say the Bucks have the best player in the series, the Heat might have the like four of the next six. Yep. And they have a massive edge on the sideline with Eric Spolstra. So Yeah, Bud not being willing to make adjustments and Spo being the king of adjustments will be very, very interesting. Yeah, like it a lot is pointing towards the Heat at this point. They just have so much shooting. Um, I mean, two incredible players in Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler. They can kind of switch all over the place if they need to. The Bucks just haven't gotten enough out of players not named Giannis or George Hill. And that's kind of frightening going into a matchup like this. Right. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. I think that'll be my favorite second round series. I think I'll, I'll both East series. If, if, you know, if they're shaping out like they're looking now, it could be all the second round series, honestly. Yeah, really second fun. round's going to be good. Second round's going to be really good. I think Jazz Clippers might be the worst second round series, and it's not even a bad series. Wow. I'm looking and that's, forward to it. Yeah, and that's if the Jazz hold on. Yeah, bro. that's true. I, both of those teams have to – I guess Luka, if he really can't play or something, then maybe. But mm-hmm. Man, it's going to be awesome. Well, Nikias, we talked a lot about stuff that is kind of micro level that we don't. I don't get to get into on the show very much, and I really appreciate you taking the time to do that with me. No, no problem, man. Nikias Duncan is on NBA at on NBA. Wow, on Twitter <laughs> at Nikias N E K I A S M B A. All the Heat coverage you could ever need coming up. He wrote a great piece on Spo transforming the Heat offense this season, including tidbits from the locker room right before it happened. I liked that lead quite a bit. Uh, so go check that out. Go check out all the stuff he writes. And do you have anything you want to plug while you're here? Uh. I have a Luka Doncic piece dropping soon. He hasn't done anything noteworthy, so that will be boring. (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, he's been all right. Decent player. (laughs) Look out. Be on the lookout for that. I'm sure I will throw it up to the timeline. Nikias, thanks for the time. And everybody, we will see you to talk more about coaching changes tomorrow on Friday. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.